welcome to another episode of Talking Sense. I am here with Cornelius Willis, the CMO of Clary, one of the fastest growing sales management platforms in the world. And we are going to talk today about the rise of revenue operations. So really excited to have him, absolute expert on this topic. Thanks for being here, Cornelius. Thank you, Lotney. So excited to join you. So I, um, I did a little research on you. And you said that marketers want to be data-driven, right? but we don't understand the math. Right, right. So that was, in some cases, true. I mean, the challenge is we've got all kinds of data. We have all kinds of telemetry coming off of these systems. But what we don't always have is the statistical rigor around what those numbers mean or a shared understanding of why we're gathering them, what decisions we make out of them, and also what the relevance is to the business. Right. I think what happens a lot with marketers is we come back to our business stakeholders and we say, look at this amazing number. You know, I have, I have grown the volume of the defibrillon by 20%. And isn't that you know, magnificent? And our stakeholders say, wait, where's my pipeline? Right? What does pipeline look like next quarter, the following quarter? But the defibrillon, you know, look at it, we're doing great. And I think that's sort of endemic to the problems that we're trying to solve with bringing the revenue operations teams together is creating that relevance and shared view of the business. Yeah, I always, I talk to my team about, okay, if you give me a stat, like I need to understand the perspective of that stat. Like right. we grew at 20%, well, how much did we do last year? How much right. did we do, is that good? Yeah, did, did you <laughs> have 20% good or bad? Right, and then, and then how does that show up in the business? How does that show up in revenue? How do you connect that investment, that set of activities to the actual number? Exactly, exactly. So I'm not trying to do differential equations, just right. kind of basics. Yeah. Exactly. Where do people typically fall down? Like, where's the, where's the struggle in getting to... Because it sounds basic. Right. But clearly it's not because not everyone's doing it. Yeah. It's a challenge. Yeah, I think three things. I think, first of all, is relevance. So is this something, as I said a minute ago, is this something that my business stakeholders care about and understand? The second is um, sort of cultural alignment. Right? I think one of the things that we do is we tend to operate in silos. We don't create moments and cadence across the teams where we're working together on a shared problem with a shared view of the business. Right? And we see that in best of breed companies, you have a very rigorous sales, marketing, customer success cadence throughout the quarter. Right? Something particular happens in the second week. Something particular happens on the third week. Something particular happens in the sixth week. And you're working together with a common set of data and a common set of um, levers that you can pull. Right? So that cadence is the second thing. And then the third thing is consistency. Right? You know, we're, oftentimes I see uh, different parts of the revenue team being all over the map, but if you can get everybody together marching in a consistent way quarter after quarter, that's where you start to see the growth that, that we're all looking for. Okay, so this notion of shared alignment and breaking it down through the quarter. Yeah. Who runs that? Who drives that? Uh, great question. So really that's what the revenue operations function is about, is bringing together not only the operational teams behind these different silos, behind sales, marketing, customer success, but actually bringing them all together, not just the operations teams, but the actual people doing the work, the reps, the sales managers, the marketers, the customer success folks. And typically what we've seen in companies that do this best of breed is that there's either a formal revenue operations leader, as in a, you know, a CRO, right, or a chief customer officer, 
um, or there's kind of a de facto ringleader that's pulling it all together. Um, Jake Randall at Okta was a great example of this before he got a job in his sales organization. He actually pulled together all these teams around a cadence. And you can see, you know, when you have that, when you have a champion inside the company that's driving it, it's completely different. What's different between sales ops and revenue ops? What's different is bringing together all those tech silos and organizational silos. So one of the things that's happened, it's so interesting, you know, we're both CMOs, we both have our own tech stack, right? We both have our own set of purchases yeah. and evaluations and things that we're trying to manage. Same for customer success, same for sales operations. But when you think about it, you know, that, that's great. Now we can produce a report and say, oh, I'm doing great, right? And bring that into our, into our team meetings and bring that into our companies. But it kind of perpetuates the silo. Totally. Because right? you've got your view, the sales team has its view, customer success has its view. So what we're trying to do is create a common view of the business across those teams so that we can look at churn forecast, look at outquarter pipeline, look at sales effectiveness, and bring all those things together into a common view. Yeah, I talk a lot about one dashboard. So Mark right. is our head of sales, and we actually we have revenue ops, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, our revenue operations leader is amazing. And I'm like, my worst fear, because it happened to me before, was I rocked into a meeting with my set of reports, and the head yeah. of sales walk, walked in with his, and we were reporting out on the same thing, yeah, yeah. but in different ways. And the underlying data was right on both, right. but it just made us look like complete wackadoos. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm big on that, like one dashboard, one sheet of music right. that is very visible and we can all look at. Right. But when you think about that, there's this gap, right? So you've got a ton of data and telemetry coming off of your website, coming off of your advertising, come off six cents. Right. You know how to run your business. You've got really nice body of data there. Customer success has product usage, has NPS scores, all the data they're collecting. But I don't know if you've noticed this, but the opportunity you know, comes into the company, right? goes to the sales organization, and it's sort of like you know, the blackout communication zone. You don't know what happens to it after that. And the reason why is because the use of the CRM isn't automated. You're expecting reps and expecting your team to update that thing, right? So you've got data, so you can what see. What are you talking about? My reps like they love to update. Salesforce. They love updating Salesforce. It's like their Do they actually thing. close any deals? <laughs> right. I mean, they you, love to document but, everything they're doing. Yeah, but it's, it's if you think about it, it makes sense that they don't do that, right? Because they should be out doing business. They shouldn't be gardening this, you know, this massive thing that was literally designed in the '90s. Totally. Right. Totally. And so the first step is to automate that. Right, so you've actually got clean data across the whole revenue team. And without that, you've got this black hole in the middle of the system, which is you know, what happens to the deal when the reps start working on it. So that's, that's the, you know, the core problem that Clary solves first, is automating the update for CRM by looking at the different systems and then automatically writing that back into the CRM. Well, I think that we're naive to think that we don't have a dark funnel with our CRM. Yeah, so once you automate that data capture, then what you can start doing is illuminating risk and opportunity in the pipeline. Right, you can start to see you know, what the pattern of activity is around a deal, how that compares to previous execution, like how your team has done this in the past um, for this season, for this product line, for this segment, for this region, and then start to understand how likely that deal is to close. And are you spending time on the right stuff? Right? Mm -hmm. And then from that, you can have a much higher level of predictability around revenue. Right? And when you think about it, that's what's really driving 
this whole revenue operations movement is creating more predictable growth by aligning these teams. That's what's drawing this together. That's why you have revenue operations. That's why we have it. Right? So what about like the big brother factor? If you think about it, we always are making trades, right? Between providing data, right? And getting utility. Right? You know, in other words, we have these large search engine, advertising providers, social media providers. They're watching our behavior. And from that, we get all this utility. I have five Alexas in my house. There you go, right? So it's a deal we make. Yes. Right? And We've made that deal what we see, What we see in our customers is that the trade for the sales reps and sales management, the value is so high to automate the updated CRM, to have that visibility into how the deal is working, to change the conversation. Well, that's the val I guess that's the easy value prop for the rep out of the gate is um, just time savings, which they're, you, know, right. the, you learn as a salesperson, the only asset you have is your time. Yes. So anything that you can do to save right. me time and let me focus on the things I need to do, I'm going to be all in. Right. I would assume it changes the coaching behavior. Exactly. Though. It changes the conversation, right? If you think about it, so many of the conversations across the revenue team, across sales, marketing, customer success, they're in, you know, there's certainly high stakes. There's a lot of emotion that can be sort of inherently adversarial and they kind of come down to, are you doing your job? Right. Are you doing your job? And if you have all that data, if you can see all the activity and see the pattern of activity around the deal, you're no longer having that conversation. You're having a conversation about what do we do about this? How right. do we accelerate this thing? Where, where are the, the, what are the additional things we can do? What are the additional marketing programs we can run? Who do we need to get in touch with? Right? And see the actual picture rather than, did you have that meeting you were talking about? Right. Because they're out and they're, a lot of times they're busy and doing all the right things, but maybe we just don't see a red flag that, right. this, that the data can show us. Like, oh, we had this huge hole here that right. none of us saw. Right. And, and why waste one-on-one -on -one time or QBR time or forecast call time telling these stories about, yeah, I had all these meetings. Or, yeah, it seemed really good. It seemed like they were sending me all the right signals. Well, you can see the signal, right? You can see the pattern of activity, right? So it's a very different kind of coaching conversation. One of the things I saw, and maybe you can break this down for our, our listeners, is I saw two great assets on your website. One was about how to conduct a great one-on-one. -on -one, yeah. Um, and the other was QBRs. Yeah. So maybe give us the cliff yeah. notes on an awesome sales manager to sales rep 101 that's yeah. data-driven. Yeah, yeah. First thing is have a plan, right? So a consistent way of doing this. So it's not, how are you doing this week? What's happened in your patch, right? Instead, it's here is this data. Let us discuss this row by row. Here's what I'm observing. So having a plan and a structure for it, um, having consistency around it and outcomes, right? So really just managing it like... A process. It's a revenue factory. That's why you call it revenue operations, the operations of that factory, right? So a plan, a set of data to support that plan, and then a set of steps that you go through every time, right? And doing that with rigor throughout the quarter, throughout the year. Same for QBR, same for forecast calls, same for these key moments in the revenue, same for pipeline generation and pipeline forecasting with, between marketing and sales. Having a process and a plan and a set of data to support that. So one of the things that we do in our company is we have the list of information assets that come into every meeting. So you know what reports you're going to look at. So you can you know, prepare and see that. And that's automatically generated, right? So it's not like... So I I'm not to, scrambling around. Right. You yeah. know, you're not scrambling around for the QBR, like you know, creating these spreadsheets and these PowerPoints. We actually run it out of the tool. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, I want to go back. One of the things you talked about was take a typical quarter. Yeah. And you said there's a certain, when you study best in class, yeah. there's a certain rigor yeah. to what they're measuring when. 
Yeah. Can you share what for the audience what some of those key things are? Yeah, absolutely. And there's an asset on our website that we built with Topo that actually goes into this in detail. Um, and it, you build it for your business depending upon the nature of your business. Sure. But you might do um, an in-quarter forecast call one week, out quarter, what's happening in the next quarter or quarter after that, depending upon the length of your sales cycle, right? The next mm -hmm. week. Um, uh, some of our customers do like a big deal Friday you know, three or four weeks in, just take a look at the big deals for the next six months and what's happening with those. Um, some folks will do like uh, executive connection on one week. Like what are the executive, you know, drop-ins that we need to do on the pipeline, right? But then to do that in a way that cascades up across your different sales regions and your sales structure so that you can see that at the top level, but then also see gaps right, in a particular region, in a particular segment for a particular territory, and what marketing and sales can do together to close that. Yeah, and I like the, the notion of having it well-scripted and consistent. Right, because, because that's what creates culture. Yes, yeah, and the expectation around it. Like, right. I know it's Big Deal Friday, and I know what I need to prepare, and, right. and that we're here to help, too. Right. It's not to, like, you know, try to say someone's doing a bad job. It's we're rallying the company around exactly. helping close. And these we're all big in this. We're all share. We have shared accountability. It's not like you know I did this and I'm handing it off to you. We're all in this together, and that's a big difference. So let's talk specifically about marketing stats and measurement because one of the things I noticed on the, the that same report was I thought that the sales insights and things that were getting measured were absolutely awesome. Yeah. I got to be honest, I felt like some yeah. of the marketing ones, not so much. Yeah, yeah. Working on that, working on that, building it out. So some of the big things, big things to look at, um, clearly the, the, the most informative stat between sales and marketing in my experience is pipeline coverage, right? Have you generated enough business to actually support the number? Sure. Right? And the way you get there is you look at your sales cycle and break that down by segment, like, you know, six months for you know, large deals, three months for small deals, et cetera, right. et cetera. And then look at the win rates. Totally. Right? And then from that, uh, try to understand, you know, where do you take the measure, right? And what position do you need to be in at different parts of the quarter to support the out-quarter business, right? So in our business, we know that if we have an opportunity that's in the sales reps one-on-one, -on -one, right, that they're accountable for to their manager, Mm -hmm. Right. We know how many of those we close and how long it takes. So we calculate where we need to be in our pipeline position, right, based on that. Right. And so then, your qualification criteria is that it's coming up in a one on one? For us, but for other people it's different. No, no I think that's interesting. Yeah. And I just you have to look at your culture and understand sort of how it how it runs, right? Uh, one company that we've worked with, it was if they were doing a POC and they were actually installing their tech at the customer site because Every deal they did had that in it, and they knew if they did that, the likelihood that would close within a certain time period was X. And then from that, they could do the pipeline multiple. Do we just blow up the MQL? Do we blow up the MQL? You know, it's interesting. I think that um, depends on your company. I mean, have we moved beyond that? So there are a lot of stats that we have to run inside our groups to understand how our groups are working together, right? But to the greatest degree possible, we should all be looking at revenue and what happens at the end of the funnel, right? Because that's what drives the alignment across the organization. So you think we should blow it up? No, I don't think we should blow it up. MQLs <laughs> certainly matter, right? You've got to hand a I'm body of work. I'm putting words in your mouth now. No, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm punting. You You're to, punting, okay, you have, okay. You have to, but you have to hand MQLs to your, to your business development reps, right? They have to have a body of work 
to, to engage on, right? And so within your team, it's that's more a like really a important. It's like a workflow step then. Right. Or a, and potentially a leading indicator versus well said. the measurement. Right. And so if I'm thinking about the factory, you're running one piece of that factory, and you've got to make sure that all the pieces you're responsible for are working well together. But then there's also the interaction between marketing and sales and customer success and how you align those. Gotcha. One of the things I found in interviewing for CMO jobs is yeah. there was this categorize yourself. Are you brand or demand gen? Right. And it felt like a stigma driven question, like either you're data driven and you're demand gen or you're a brand person. Sure. That bugs me. Yeah. You know what's driving this? What? What's driving this is, is growth and the value of growth. Um, when you look at the value of growth assets relative to regular assets, whether it's public markets or private equity, the premium investors are willing to pay for growth has grown by about 300% in the last five years. Right, so suddenly, you know, we always knew growth was important. Now it is hyper important. And having the ability to predict growth and deliver it consistently is actually what's differentiating winners and losers. So there's a reason that there's so much emphasis placed on demand gen and growth. Really, marketing is now growth. That's what it's really about. But do you think you can separate the two? And no. like, how do you think about, would you think of an investment as, oh, this is just a brand investment. It yeah. has nothing to do with demand gen. I mean, no one thinks that way. Well, no, and it's, it's, it's inherently false because everything is brand. You know, everything we do as marketers is brand. Every touch, every, every communication, every interaction with the market is brand. So you can't separate brand out from the company, from anything the company does. So what would you say your marketing superpower is? Uh, boy, I think knowing what I don't know or consistently trying to understand what I don't know and filling that in with the people around me. Um, I've, I've made enough mistakes that I'm, I'm aware of the fallibility of humans and myself in particular, so having, having smart people around me is my superpower. Okay, so one of my favorite questions. Yeah. Colossal fuck up. I've got such a good one. Thank you for preparing me for this question. <laughs> These are the best questions. Yeah. That's when you learn. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm older than you. And when I started my career, software came in boxes. Can you nice. imagine that? Software nice. came in boxes. So part of my job as the product manager for a software product line, this is Visual Basic at Microsoft, was forecasting the manufacturing run. Right? I had to actually make a commitment to build boxes. And I made a calculation error in my spreadsheet, like a decimal point. So I built 10 times as much product as I was supposed to. So instead of building 20,000. How 20, expensive 000, was the product? Uh, the unit cost to manufacture was around 15 bucks. So it was a very expensive error. <laughs> it was a very expensive error. So I suddenly have all these boxes of software that I don't need. Now, fortunately, the business was growing. But my boss, Tom Button, thank you, Tom, um, he had this great idea. He said, tell me you know, how you can turn this into a positive. And what we did is we set up a donation program for high schools where you could apply to outfit your computer lab or your vocational lab in a you know, vocational school with this advanced programming environment, Visual Basic. And now when I've you know, traveled the world in the subsequent years, you know, people say, I, you know, I learned Visual Basic in high school. I know why that is. <laughs> I know how that happened. So that seems like kind of a good mistake. It, at the time, it was very painful. <laughs> You painful. seem to have made it through unscathed. I had the support of great friends. <laughs> awesome. I love what Clary is doing, yeah. bringing AI to revenue operations in the sales process. So maybe 
explain explain to everyone why Clary is such a game changer. Yeah, you know, AI in sales and marketing is like it's like the perfect application of that technology because it's so inherently high stakes and emotional. And having some data and some context behind it, behind those conversations, really make them much more productive. So the way you use AI in sales and marketing, um, first of all, automate. Right? So automate the updates to the CRM system, automate the creation of reports, automate the cadence around these key sales moments. Second is to illuminate. Illuminate the risk in the pipeline, illuminate where things are in out quarters, illuminate how the business is going. And the last thing is to predict, to be able to predict these outcomes. And prediction is so critical to revenue growth because that's what allows the business to forward invest in capacity. Right? And that's the game changer for so many of these businesses. When they have the visibility to see where things are going, then they can pour on the gasoline. So who's just crushing this? Like when you look at your customer base, who are you like, this is who we all benchmark off of? Yeah, so certainly a lot of companies that you've heard of, uh, the recent IPOs, so Zoom, uh, Medallia, uh, Okta, um, you know, when, when companies get into the shoot, into the IPO shoot, suddenly they need much more visibility. Sure. Right? So be able to see what two quarters, three quarters, four quarters out is, is, is a game changer because that gives them the confidence actually to sell shares to your grandmother, right? which is you know, what you're doing when you go public. So that, that IPO phase is where we really see people uh, making great use of the product. And really needing to. Right. It being like a, not a nice to have anymore. Right. Being able to automate that process so you've actually just got you know, a push button cadence right. on the QBR, on the forecast call, and you're not you know, producing hundreds of spreadsheets so on Friday night. So you can start night. to die under that weight. Well, and, or you, have to, you, know, you see these companies and they have enormous teams just devoted to producing a spreadsheet workbook you know, between Friday afternoon and Monday morning. Right, right. right? And you know, take that in a global theater and what that means to cascade that up across you know, three, different, three different operating regions, it's, it's an enormous cost. So that's how big companies realize value out of this, is they automate a lot of that process in running their sales organization. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum, right, you know, really new startups, I'm thinking of uh, Twist Bioscience, great company uh, that we work with. What they're looking for is setting it up right the first time. Yeah, getting off on the, from the right? get-go. Like how do, I, how do I create a transparent sales marketing culture from the get-go so you know, these silos don't develop, so I don't create these um, sort of siloed relationships. So let's talk about org structure, because this is also a hotly debated yeah. topic. Yeah. So where does revenue ops report? Right. And, well, let's start with that. Where does revenue ops So I've ops seen it both ways. Some of our customers' revenue operations is actually part of the marketing organization, and the CMO is the captain of rigor across the revenue <laughs> operations team. And it's because they're spending all the money. Right? And so they have to show the return on that investment and understand how that progresses through the pipeline. Um, it also uh, obviously reports to uh, the CRO. You see the rise of the CRO title, right? Um, Do CROs need to own both sales and marketing and customer success? No, not necessarily. But what you need is a common cadence and a common way of working together. If you have that, it doesn't really matter where people report. If you're transparent, what the organizational boundaries are just is irrelevant. Yeah, I, I believe in that. I feel like if the data is the the thread yeah. through everything right and we're on the same page like the organizational structures might change given how big you are or right. who you have on the team right. or you know how you can recruit for different roles yeah. things yeah. like that we talked about revenue operations a lot and we talked about how fundamentally revenue operations is the single thread that aligns sales 
marketing and customer success on data, but I think what was really interesting that CW shared is also around process and cadence and a rigor around the quarter. So some great tips around that. Also, we talked about how to be a leader that uses data. So some good tips about using data in your one-on-ones and your QBRs. We talked about Clary and AI and how no matter what stage of company you're at, having rigor around predicting for the future uh, is just so, so, so important. So please tune in. Awesome episode. Thank you so much for C-Dub, C-Dub for coming on Talking Sense. My pleasure. What, what a great time. Thank you.